0: And commitment to what it means to be a disciple and to follow Jesus. That was really our purpose last week. And in doing that, you have to talk about the next step I would say next step? next step. the next step. See, conversion I hope everybody knows, and if you don't know, this will be helpful information for you conversion is only step one. It's a super important and necessary step, but it's only step one. So the goal of our lives is not to be converted. So look at somebody next to you and say, that wasn't, "That wasn't the goal." That wasn't the goal. That was part of the goal for sure, but that wasn't the sum total. Right The goal was not just for me to be converted, and not just for you to be converted." Jesus said an interesting thing. He said, "I have come and I've come to give life and uh, to give life abundantly, abundantly. And he wasn't just referring to I want to just give you more money and more resources, more possessions, more things. That might very well come with the package. And don't be surprised if it happens. And then hopefully when it happens, it doesn't possess us, we possess it, right? But an abundant life. And part of that abundant life is where conversion happens, we give our lives over to Jesus Christ um, we realize who he is, the debt that he paid, our need for him, then we repent, right? we change the direction we were headed in life, we change the way we were doing things, thinking about things, the way, just the way we were headed. We just change it. And we say, Lord, I want to follow after you. I'm living my life in response, just of gratefulness to what you've done for me. And then when that happens, the Holy Spirit, which we talked about last week, he comes in and He resides and He empowers us to get to where God wants to bring us. Which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so when Jesus says, I've come to give you life, Jared, I've come to give you life, right, Katie, I've come to give you life, Jen, I've come to give you life and give you life abundantly, you might get a bunch of stuff and great if you don't. Great if you do, great if you don't. But also what that means is We get to have full access and be in complete relationship with God himself and having the spirit that raised God from the dead live inside of us to empower us and equip us. That is what Jesus would call a very abundant life. Because I want you to think for a minute. If if you, if a lot of people really believed that they were living under the influence and empowering of the Holy Spirit, like you really believed it, there was just it was settled in your mind. It was just no doubt. Oh, for sure, I'm, that's me. I, I am a child of God. I have him living inside of me. I know all about it. Oh yes. If. If that was really at the forefront of a lot of believers' minds, there'd be a pretty high confidence level—not an arrogance, but a confidence. A confidence, and it doesn't make you not humble. The best definition I've heard about humility is: humility, humility is thinking about yourself what God thinks and says about yourself. Anything less or anything more is not very humble. So if he says, hey, you're a child of mine. I have gifted you to pray for others. I've gifted you just to think about, put others first. To be really generous. I've anointed your life in these particular ways. It would actually be not a humble thing for somebody to say, well, I don't know if God's really you know, called me and anointed me for that. I don't want to sound arrogant and say that I'm good at it and God... That wouldn't be very humble. That'd be like you don't really know who you are. Right? You with me? So, a life and an abundant life is spirit led, spirit guided, spirit dependent. And it very much involves knowing who we are, relying on His strength, and growing in confidence that truly the Spirit of the living God lives inside each and every believer. So if that's the case, I just want to know real quick, how many things can you hopelessly fail at? I don't know how many hopeless because there's none. And it's just a sad thing all too often, and so many Christians go around hedging their bets and only kind of staying within their comfort zone. When the Spirit's looking to break that thing apart. Right? And, it, and it's not, you know, and then some people go way on the other end and they get really extreme and they get super impulsive and they get irrational and just erratic and just get crazy. And that's not the idea. The idea is an abundant life that Jesus promised let's stay in the Spirit, strengthened by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit. It doesn't leave a whole lot of room for fear. It really doesn't. So whatever the assignment that we have in our lives, whatever around, whatever we're in, I hope that we're carrying, and it's my prayer, that all of us, right, including myself, that we carry more confidence in the assignments in whatever areas that we're in in life. A confidence with an expectation attached to it. It's not arrogance. That's actually like believing what he said. So, Last week we talked about two E's. Effort and empowerment. Do you remember that? There's this idea of doing life, the Christian life, and you are just doing a ton of effort and it's mainly upheld by our effort. Where you just work really hard. I mean, I'm just doing all this stuff. I'm going to all these things. I'm writing down all these verses. I'm just, I'm busy, 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 busy. And we talked about how that's kind of like being on a runway, or not a runway, but a tarmac, the airplane's just going around, and just being inside the airplane, and playing with the speakers, and serving food, and talking with whoever. And so it feels really busy. But you're not actually doing what the airplane is built to do. It wasn't built to just go around the tarmac. It was built to get in the air and go somewhere. And so many times, if our Christian life is highly effort-based, it doesn't last very long because we weren't built for that. And the crazy thing is, is that sometimes a lot of Christians we get really surprised by how our own efforts don't produce what we thought it would produce. Because for a lot of people, it's like they go through their Christian life, they go through the walk and it's like, oh man, I'm really doing it now. I'm all in. I'm giving God my absolute best. And then there kind of comes this point where it's like, oh man, a lot of things aren't playing out the way I thought they would really play out. And so it's worthwhile in those situations to kind of think and say, well, maybe I'm trying a little bit too much here. Am I living from the Holy Spirit, from His strength, under His guidance and under His direction? So there's this idea of effort. And what I'm not saying is, we don't try at all. And we just sit back and let Him do everything. Because God can do everything. I'm not saying that. So I'm saying there's this high level of effort that the Bible makes clear that we do, but I'm also saying, like we said last week, that the Holy Spirit brings another dimension of empowerment. That's our other E that we talked about. An empowerment that comes and dovetails and partners in a surrendered way with what God wants to do. So there's the effort and then there's this empowerment with the spirit. The spirit's leading the way, calling the shots. And really that's the most healthy way for us to function and to live. That's what we're designed to do. And then this morning I just wanted to highlight one other awesome added bonus that we get to experience. Everybody say experience. Yes, that's our other E, experience, okay? So you got effort, empowerment, experience, okay? One comment that um, my kids, more so Judson, not so much Jaren, have been bringing up the past like two weeks, This comment is, I can't wait till I'm an adult. (laughs) Exactly my response. I can't wait till I'm an adult, the past like week. I can't wait till I'm an adult. Can't wait till I'm an adult. I said, Really? I said, You want to go to work every day like that? Yes, I do. <laughs> I said, Well, I hope you love it. I hope you love it. <laughs> I hope it's really good and you just love it. I said, So you want to go to the grocery store and you want to buy things? I said, You want, you want all your kids to take all your stuff? like, yes, then I can buy toys. (laughs) It's just one lens. One lens that he sees through. And it's just his own little limited experience, right? And we laughed because, you know, we know how valuable experience is. And I think about, you know, 12 years ago with Julie and we're sitting at the altar and we're crying. It was a crazy day. I remember plopping in the limousine after. And it was really funny. You know, we had we went to uh, the Crystal Room over here in Naugatuck. That's where we did our reception. We really had no intention of being there and it sort of just showed up last minute and so we did it. Really very little familiarity of Naugatuck at all, to be honest with you. I mean, in college, I thought Naugatuck was in Long Island. I had like... <laughs> I'd met a girl from Naugatuck, and she was in, uh, you know, a lab group and I was like, you know, that's on Long Island? She's like, no, that's not going to... And then it was funny, we ended up having a reception there under no intention and then it's really... God, sense of humor, we planted church then here in Naugatuck. It's like, man. So, I remember getting a more after and just plopping down. just being exhausted because, you know, I really didn't sleep the night before. Just hanging out with just all the guys. And Julie's like, I slept great. I guess they all slept. That must have been nice. Um, but just being so tired. But, as any, you know, married couple, you know, can tell you that, you know, when you say yes and I do, you, you have no idea. I mean, you have no idea. You have no idea what's going like to come down the road. And um, you're really just saying yes and I do to like beforehand you're committing yourself fully 110% that no matter whatever might happen, hey, I'm, I'm still going to commit and stay with this team. Almost nobody makes deals and bets like that in the world. Do you understand that? But marriage is what you do, and that's the way God designed it. And I think He probably knows something about us, you know, He knows like when we get stretched and our flesh is getting just whacked, you know, and things are challenging and difficult that it's really, really difficult in our own strength, I'll say impossible, in our own strength, and our own effort to really stay where we need to be, to where God is calling us to be. And that's why it's so difficult you know, for couples that struggle and have been through certain things and if they're not relying on the Lord and the Holy Spirit, it's really hard to do marriage without that. I mean, you know, it's just... It's really, really tough. And so, you know, in 12 years, we don't at all have the market done on anything. Certainly experienced a lot, though. And so there's this idea, just experience is a, such a premium thing. You know what I mean? Like... So I, have a, I don't have too many pet peeves, but one of them that I do have, and I'm sure you, know, you, know, you have yours, whatever they are. One of them that I have is being around people that like to talk about uh, maybe situations or things, and they've never, ever done it. <laughs> That's a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> they just talk about certain situations or certain people or circumstances, and I'm like, oh, so you, you sound very knowledgeable. Did you do... How did, it, how did it go when you did it? Oh, I never did that. Yeah, I, just, I just heard, you know, did all lot Googling. And, you know, and it's funny, you know, when you go to school and you go to college and stuff and then you just get filled with all these ideas and just all this knowledge and probably a lot of it good and then you get to the real world where things actually happen. You know, oh, that's not the way it was in my class. You're right. No, it wasn't. There's this idea of experience. And I I say, like, those few things about experience, to one, probably just tell you something you already know. It's not exactly rocket science. Experience matters and helps a lot. It really builds a confidence, right? It gives us a comfort level. It gives us a familiarity with things. Um, And it it really, it deepens our understanding of whatever we're talking about, whatever we're going to venture in, right? It's interesting in the church that a life with the Holy Spirit Let me say it a different way. Because there are some very strange people, and because there's people that have really taken advantage of and done wrong things in the church, in the name of the Holy Spirit and in the name of God, I'm just going to refer to them as inappropriate behavior or wackos. That has really kind of like shunned and like shut down. A lot of this experience with the Holy Spirit. There's a guy, you may have heard of like the Vineyard Church. His name is John Wimber. He started the Vineyard Church and this was like in the late 60s and he grew up um, in a Catholic church then went to some other churches but when he got saved, the church that he was attending, he went to the church leadership team and and he went up to them and he said, hey listen, he said, when are we going to start doing this stuff? And their response was, they didn't know what he was talking about at first. Like, what do you mean doing this stuff? He's like, you know, doing this stuff. He said, you know, like he like said in the Bible, he said, Jesus, you know, they would pray for people, they'd get better. He said, people, they would talk in other languages. He said, people, they'd have words of knowledge. He said, when are we doing this stuff? He said, we talk a lot about it. He said, but when do we actually do it? And the interesting response that he got back from that particular church and their church leadership was, well, you know, that was for that time and for those people. He said, but for now you know, we really try to excel in knowing the Word and doing the disciplines. <clears throat> and so, that's an interesting response, right? And really, it, it, it gets at the question of the experience, me say experience. experience. The experience with the Holy Spirit. You know, is that something that we should be expecting and looking for or do they have a point where maybe it was for a significant time in church history when Jesus, the Messiah, comes on the scene then the church is born. I mean, this is a pretty significant part of history and so maybe those times, like, there was just a really special outpouring for that to have it be unique and significant. That's a worthwhile question. And here's what I don't want to do. I'm not interested in giving you my opinion. Really not. Really not. And nor are you probably interested in hearing it. But I'll give I, in the short amount of time that we do have, I'm going to at least point to a couple places in the Bible that hopefully might spark some things and maybe open your eyes to something. Um, but I am going to come from the position of—I'm going to tell you ahead of time—that I'm going to come from the position of that we are called in this day and age to have experiences plural with the Holy Spirit. I got a couple of you on my side already, but I haven't get to the Bible part yet. But I'm going to get to that. And if that's true, right, if that's true, which I believe it is and we're going to get to it in a minute, um, do you realize how valuable experiences in the Holy Spirit are because of just how we are wired when we have experiences with things? The depth of understanding, the familiarity, the comfort level? And so, uh, so we're going to look at a passage and a couple other things and um, then I want to highlight like one or two thoughts. And it we'll won't take that long to do that. All right? Are you with me? Yeah. Okie dokie. Here we go. Um, let's see here. Let me just give you three, a uh, couple thoughts with some Bible passages and then I want to read it. Number one, Jesus had to leave so the Holy Spirit could come. That's baseline Christianity basic one-on-one. Jesus had to leave. If he doesn't leave, Holy Spirit doesn't come. And you get that in John 16, 7. He says, listen, I have to go. i got to leave because then if I don't, the Comforter won't come. So it's got to happen. All right. So John 16, 7, it's got to happen. Next thing. Holy Spirit came first at Pentecost let me say Pentecost. Pentecost Acts chapter 2 they're all in a room and when Jesus said listen when I leave he's not going to come like the second I go in the air then he's not going to drop he's like I'm going to go you guys need to hang out pray together and just wait don't you love when God just says hey listen I'm going to do this thing but just wait they had no idea how long he didn't give them a time period he just said the gift is coming but you got to just wait they tell Jair and Judson a gift is coming, and they have to wait. They lose their minds, and many adults in the Christian life are also like that. They say, "Hey, listen, wait." It took about fifty days, forty-five days. Holy Spirit comes. They're in a room. One hundred twenty of them—not that many. It's pretty interesting. Jesus had quite an impact. Only one hundred twenty are in the room there. Holy Spirit comes. It says there's like fire resting on them. They're speaking in other languages. It's a crazy, crazy moment. So that's when the Holy Spirit comes. Okay? Acts 2. So, Holy Spirit had to come. He was our gift. Then, He did come um, at Pentecost. Third thing is, Holy Spirit is received by all believers. Everybody. Believers. They say believer. Believers. Believers. He's received by all believers. And we know that. I'll just read this part. It says, Peter replied to a bunch of people that heard all the stuff of Pentecost and what happened. Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Right? for all people. And so there's multiple places where it refers to that. Okay. So three thoughts, right? Holy Spirit had to come. He was the gift. He came at Pentecost. When you become, when I became a Christian, the Holy Spirit came. Ephesians 5 says, He became a deposit. Like we talked about last week, He came and resided in each one of us. So now, I want you to have an understanding which we're going to build on. So when the Holy Spirit comes in Katie, she got baptized, gave her life to the Lord. Um... That doesn't mean that then she was baptized with the Holy Spirit and that was like done deal. I'm saying there's multiple experiences. There's one filling called, church term here, uh, Bible term here, regeneration. Say regeneration. regeneration. There's a regeneration that happens when the Holy Spirit comes in. It's like we surrender, he moves in, it's like gets himself comfortable and then he starts rearranging and going nuts. Sometimes we like it, most of the time we don't. Our spirit loves it, but our flesh is like, what are you doing? I had that there. I really like that. Why do you have to interfere there? What was wrong with that? The Holy Spirit comes. He just shakes things up. He's in charge now. That's what we call regeneration. So the Holy Spirit comes, regenerates somebody, but then what happens is that throughout a believer's life, there's going to be times and experiences where he just overwhelms an individual. So we're going to look at that, okay? All right, Acts chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 13. Um, Peter and John got in trouble for healing a guy. They got in trouble for it. Can you imagine? It is so bad. So bad. So he's sitting there at a gate as a beggar. He's asking them for money. And I would encourage you too, like, somebody's asking you for money, you got no money. I mean, take their response. He said, listen, we don't have any money, but we do have Jesus Christ and we do have the Holy Spirit, so we're going to give that to you. Might want to try that next time you somebody I've done it a bunch of times. It totally freaks people out. It's like, it's like they didn't even hear. I'll give you the God part. All the, they stopped listening when they said you don't have money. And I remember one guy in the Home Depot parking lot in Waterbury, like chasing me down, and uh, and I could just see him at it. And I really didn't want to like deal with it that day. It was just a lot, I was hot. There's a lot going on. I think it was a return too, so I was even more mad. I had to return something. Like I didn't even want to. And I could just see him. I'm like. Ugh. And he's, like, getting closer. So then he comes up. He's, like, hey, man, you got some money? You got some money? I said, honestly, I don't have any cash. I have nothing. I said, but I do know who God is, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, and if I pray for you right now, something's going to happen with you right now, and that would be a really good thing, and you want that. And he started, like, to turn. I said, I "I don't have any money, man. I said, but I pray for you. Like, something's going to happen right now. And he goes... Yeah, nah, 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 nah. I said, no, you're not going to regret this. Nah, 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 it just takes off. But, but some people also responded to it too. you know. So and if you've got a gift that you've been given like and it's inexhaustible, why wouldn't you give it? So more of the story is don't carry any cash and just come equipped with prayer. <laughs> you're good. You're good. All right. What are we talking about? Oh, yeah. So then the beggar was there. They heal him, they get in trouble. So they get before the religious leaders, like, what are you doing? We told you to stop talking about Jesus and definitely don't heal in his name. And the reason why they don't like that is because they killed him. They, they put Jesus on trial and they killed him on the cross. That obviously would not make them look very good. And then you've got this group running around, doing everything in the name of the person that died on the cross, and ridiculous things are happening. And they're like, yeah, we can't have this. So verse 13. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I think that's one of the best endorsements you could possibly have. I don't see... How many Bible college and seminary people do we have in here? Just out of curiosity real quick. Yeah, Bible college and seminary. We're not real heavy, right? How many people know that's like, it's good to go to Bible college and seminary. That definitely helps. But does that qualify anybody? No. Sure helps with some things. Depending on where you went, it might actually jack you up more. But let's assume that you went to a good place. Hopefully that helps. But ordinary, unschooled. What was their key factor though? You read it with me. It was only one verse. We didn't get that far. They had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. They had been with... There's something about the way they talked, the way they handled themselves with authority and with who they... It wasn't that they were super defiant, that they were rude, that they were uh, short-tempered, that they were not patient. There's just something about the way they carried themselves, the language that was used, like... What do we I, I like being around some people sometimes, you know, and I just respond to them in a way I just and I've had it said a good enough times in my life where I would appreciate it, and they just say, I don't even know what to say to that. I'm like, you yeah, know, you don't. Like that's just like so pure. I'm like, I got nothing wrong with you. It's just, you know, I'm just telling you something. Like, how do you even know what to say to that? You know, and it's like similar to the situation. They're ordinary, unschooled, Parting their grammar perfectly and correctly. They didn't study it ahead of time. But what they did do, and what they did know, is they did know who Jesus was. They were with Jesus, and there was no doubt about it. Do you understand that's like one of the most, one of the most dominant prayers that I have for our church family and for myself? I don't want most people to know that we, we go. If we go to CC Nagi, like that's fine. We went to a thing, like that's fine. I want mo- I want people to know that we've been with Jesus, and it's obvious, and it's playing out in our lives. And what we surround ourselves with, and where we go, man, that's just consistent because we are just we know who Jesus is. We've been following him. We've been encountering his heart. Like it's just. It's just who we are. You can't separate the two. That's a church family. Like That's a healthy church family. Praise God. We'll use our name and our group and we'll go do things and that's great. Most of the time, it's more valuable if we've been with Jesus and we know his heart and we can give that to others. So I, I just love that verse. I love it ordinary, unskilled, but they've definitely been with Jesus. I can tell you that. I don't know much, but they've been with Jesus for sure and it's so obvious. All right. Verse 14. Uh, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, <laughs> there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So, yeah, listen, what are we going to do with these guys? Is there a problem? Listen, let's just try and scare them. Tell them to stop talking about Jesus. Jesus. Verse 18, Then they called them in again, commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine the eye rolling going on right there? Uh, they were probably just looking at it like, these guys. Verse 19, But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Do you understand? Do you understand that like, if we're in the New Testament, and we're around these people, Peter, John, Cornelius, Stephen, Philip, just all these guys, and women, I just named a lot of guys, a lot of women. Do you understand that experiences was very important and if we were to use a lot of our Western sort of idea of Christianity where we minimize experience because we're afraid of the wackos, that'd be very foreign to them. They're very familiar with experiences. They'd be like, you know, what is God doing? What, what, what is he actually, what is he doing? What, is he, what has he been doing? Not just that you've got some goosebumps or like, what is, what is he doing? It'd be very foreign for them to live a Christian life full of discipline and duty with no experience. Very foreign. Wouldn't understand it. In fact, Paul meets up with a bunch of believers that have been baptized. He goes up to them and he says, hey, this is later on in Acts, Acts 19. He says, hey, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they're like, well, we didn't even hear that there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit. He says, okay, boom, here we go. Laid hands on them. They start talking in tongues. And the experience was synonymous with the moving and the working of Jesus Christ and the word of what he preached. It's very interesting. So these guys go, we can't stop. Verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Isn't that awesome? For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Age is not a thing, right? Age is not a thing. 40 years old, he was in that condition, still got healed. That's not a code for like, if you're over 40, God won't do something. Or if you've had an issue for over 40 years, that he won't do something. It means the opposite. It means that no matter the time period that you've had something. It's totally eligible for God's hand and the Spirit to touch it and change it. Verse 23, On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Here's their prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do our nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It's good stuff, right? That wasn't a super long prayer, it wasn't even really crazy elegant. I mean, they really just recited a history of what happened. And really, what did they ask God for? Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That's not a small prayer. That, that's, like, that's a big one. Where even the big guns were praying it. So we can't underestimate the power of boldness. It's really significant. They were praying for more of it. Because there's trouble in the situation that God, and they, they didn't say, God, hey listen, don't put us in that situation anymore. Like, God, don't put us before like the ruling council, keep us from jail, spare us from false accusations and all. Their prayer never involved consequences of what they were gonna do. Are you with me? It never involved consequences. Their prayer was more focused on listen, we just want to be faithful to what you've called us to and then confirm that with the supernatural. That whatever comes, comes. That's an awesome prayer life with the focus in the right place. God, give me, empower me what I need to be faithful in what you've called me to. And in their situation, they know they needed boldness. In other people's situations, self-control, forgiveness, humility, whatever it might be. God, God, Strengthen me with this. I know you're the source of it, so I'm asking for it. And I love their prayer because it further emphasizes what we just talked about. The need for the E word. What's the E word? Experience. They prayed for more experiences. They didn't say, like, keep it from us, or like, we don't need it, but if you want to do it, and if it's your will, go ahead. They said, no, like, do that. Stretch out your hand, Father, and confirm it. That's a pretty different prayer than a lot of like what floats around in the church. Like, well, God, if it's like your will, then like do that. But if it's not, like, that's okay too. I still believe you. There's an element of faith there, like where we need to rise up. That's very important. And it's not presumptuous. But it's very obvious. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. As a church family, like we gotta be praying for that stuff. And praying for people in that way. It's totally natural, completely good. And remember when we went back to John Wimber doing this stuff? He didn't stay in that church too much longer, by the way. That's kind of like how the vineyard got started. It's like, man, I want to do this stuff. And that was like his if you Google it later, John Wimber and doing this stuff. You know, you'll find a whole bunch of interesting things on there. But that was like his deal. He's like, man, I want to sit here talking about it all the time and grow in knowledge and know just more about the Bible without having any experience. I want to do the stuff. Because the Word of God, it's still not God. Right? It's not God. It's a piece of his revelation to us that he's given to us, but it's not, it's not who he is and what he's capable of. So he said, hey, experiences. So here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying, and I don't want anybody to hear, that I think that this passage is saying, hey, solely and completely focus on seeking the supernatural and consume yourself with it. I'm not saying that. I really don't believe that this passage is saying that. I think if you try to make the passage say that, you're doing a real bad exposition on the passage. This passage is saying, hey, listen, experience matters. We should pray for it. Ask God for it. Look for it. And then also, be in the reality of where we're going to need him more. And their issue was boldness. It was boldness. They know they needed that. Because they know, man, more was coming. More was coming. And they didn't want to water it down. They didn't want to be apologetic about it. They didn't want to tiptoe around it. They needed to be engaged fully in it. So I don't think that we should be supernaturally seeking, just consumed by it. Because here's the problem with that. Here's the other problem. The problem is if you and I, or we become a church, where we just focus just on the supernatural, asking God for that all the time, and that's all we consume our time with. Then we'd only be a people that's only really doing well and believing strongly in God when he's actually doing something supernatural? What if there's a time or a season where supernatural things aren't developing, aren't playing out, and aren't happening? Typically what happens is a lot of people get discouraged. They think that God's not listening or not hearing. And it sends them into a crazy spiral of just doubt and paralysis and just staleness. And maybe you've even been there. I know I've been there before. I mean, absolutely. When you start to like believe and ask God for things that are supernatural and outside of yourself and a lot of times they don't play out the way that you thought they would play out. If your heart really just isn't attached to the lordship of God in your life and it's more to the other stuff, like it affects you. But that doesn't mean that we don't stop engaging, we don't stop praying, we don't stop believing for it. This is the next level of faith. Because we're not supposed to be really good at talking about this stuff. Like, that helps. For sure it helps. We're supposed to also be really good at living it and knowing it. And having it be undeniable that we're with Jesus, that the Spirit is alive and working in our lives. And certainly like, that's what I'm after personally. I hope that's what you're after personally as well. Because that's what God wants to do. Um, First Corinthians twelve. I'll turn that real quick. We're going to wrap up. Yeah, First Corinthians twelve, um, first thirteen. says, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we we're all given this one spirit to drink. And I just want to draw your attention to that passage again because... That's another passage that supports the idea that when you become saved, when I become saved, the Holy Spirit, one spirit comes and resides. And then after that, there are multiple fillings that happen. And a lot of times when those fillings happen, supernatural things take place. And I like how the Bible describes supernatural things as healings at times, tongues at times. Sometimes it's just boldness. Boldness supernatural boldness that's just outside of ourselves. Um, so there's different ways to define it. And um, in the Bible, it talks about how a church functions. A church is supposed to function with pastors, uh, teachers. Look at the other categories. And this is what we have. We need to grow a lot in because we are not we're not like where God wants us to be and really functioning healthily in that way. But we're getting there. He's going to equip us and bring us along. But marks of the church, pastors, teachers, this is all in Ephesians 4, i look at it later, apostles, prophets, evangelists, <laughs> those involve very supernatural aspects and dynamics. And Paul is saying, hey, listen, like a church, those things should be happening within a church. That's the healthy model. That's the goal. That's what God's calling us to. And so it wouldn't be a weird or crazy thing if, you know, Sadie has a prophetic word, you know, next week. We got to start calling her Sadie the prophet? You know, that'd be kind of weird. But, I mean, if the title fits, she could be a prophetess, sure, why not? I mean, the Bible uses like these titles because, let me put it this way, the Bible doesn't use the titles because it's not important. Like we should know and have an understanding and be looking towards, you know, who are the evangelists that we have in our midst? You know, maybe Steve Fox, you know, evangelist action, you know, I don't know. Michael, he loves going out, doing stuff. Got some evangelist stuff stirring up there. But prophets, evangelists, apostles, and I like at the end, at the end, does it talk about pastors and teachers? When so much of the church is like just focused on the pastor and the teacher. It's like, man, that's sort of like the... Kind of at the end a little bit. And we've like elevated it to this place. And we like elevated the sermon to this place. And it's like the church it really should be consumed about his presence and his outpouring and about him showing up and being there. you with me? I know this is kind of weird. I mean, I've heard it before. But honestly, like this is like where we are headed and what God wants to do in his body. And he's going to rise people up and do different things. And it doesn't mean that every local church family will have maybe all five of those things. But it might be that all five of those—the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists—they don't have to be in this church, but they could be in the church, capital C, capital C, the bride, all throughout. You know, so are we going to bring in an apostle? You know, whoever. I mean, if they're really weird on their name, you know, I don't know. I probably wouldn't bring them in, but if they're really apostolic, like on the way that they work and the way that they pray and anoint people, heck yeah, I want them to come. Why would we not? Do we want prophetic people to come through our church and just have like a word from the Lord that God has placed in their hearts? You better believe it. See, here's the thing. I understand the concern with like the experience in the supernatural because I will give it to... There's some wackos and crazies. Absolutely. People that don't hear well from the Lord, people that just want attention. They just do things for attention. They just want to be seen. They just want to be heard. I'm not interested... And that stuff that stuff creeps its way into the church and, and it's just what happens over time you can start to see who people really are and you start to, start to separate yourself but like a pastor I heard not too long ago said he said listen at his church he's got a very large church they do really well the supernatural functions pretty healthy no church is perfect by the way either including ours yeah I know right but I love the way he talks about his church and he goes, I know we got crazies in our church. He said, I know it. And you want to know something that blew me away what he said? It's a big church, like I said. He said, I would guess around 80% are not really hearing from the Lord. They're not operating the way they should, and they're just it's just not right. It's 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 messed up. He said, but I'll tell you what. He said, there's like 20%? I'm guessing. He said, man, it's legit. It's beautiful, it's powerful, and it's completely good. And he said for that 20%, when it's like rolling right and doing the right thing, he said it's worth it's worth having the dangerous mix that you can't control. Everyone wants to control. Oh, you can have the bad! Like, we're going to control stuff and get weird. Especially in a church. Oh, you can't have that person there. They think this and they think that. Like, oh my gosh. When you operate in a graceful way, welcoming people, wanting to have the Spirit show up and things happen, weird, funky stuff takes place and sometimes you can't police all of it and get it right. And it's okay. It's okay. And I loved his position. He's like, yeah, you know, 80%. He said, you know, we're dealing with people right now. He said, but when it's genuine and real, he said it's more powerful than you can ever imagine and it completely trumps whatever nonsense is going on. And so you better believe my heart as well is completely about the authentic, outpouring experience of the Holy Spirit. And the cool thing that you see in the New Testament is that you don't have to rile everybody up all the time, get them all super excited, get the emotions really high. We didn't have time to read it, but I mean later on in Acts, Acts 10, Peter's just talking normal and the Holy Spirit, boom, just comes into a room and just blast people. So the experience of the Holy Spirit. There's no way we covered everything in its entirety at all. I'm well aware of that, and I know it. But I really hope, and I really pray, that just through this small amount of things that we talked about, and things that we read, I hope some of it creeps into your prayer life, and into your heart. And just start asking God for more things in a supernatural way. It's 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 Bible normal. It's not flesh normal. It's definitely not world normal. But it's it's Bible normal. And when things don't play out the way we thought we should, or the way we really prayed for it, let's be humble about it and just say, you know what? Pfft, that really didn't go the way I thought it was gonna go. Oh well, I'm gonna believe again for the next one now. Cause we also don't wanna like believe in this stuff and make things up either oh, so-and-so got really touched, so-and-so got healed, something happened to so-and-so, and and that's not the case. Do you understand in the Bible when somebody got healed, they were healed. gone. They're just done with. Taken care of. So, I'm encouraged because um, this is a place where we need to grow as a church family. And the experience part is really... I mean, it just separates. We talked about the premium of experience. Your faith level, my faith level, just rises so much when we see the supernatural just take place in our own lives and around us. And here's the thing. It doesn't happen by accident. we got to get in there. It doesn't just, like, happen. Well, if God wants to do it, he'll just do it. No, like... No. Some rare things, yes. For a lot of things, no. He's looking for a partnership and belief with him. To actually have it be made manifest. Don't be overwhelmed by it. Be encouraged by it. Next level stuff. Amen? Okay. All right. I'm getting the looks like amen, but I don't know. All right, let's pass this out. Anybody, anybody? There we go. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Uh <laughs> <laughs>